0: the fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock. Uh, thanks for joining me on this wonderful, uh, Tuesday afternoon. Uh, I have good news and bad news. Good news is I got a great show in store for you today. Uh, the bad news is no uncle Jimmy. Uh, uh, I think he's going to be perfectly fine, uh, but, you know, got him back at the doctor's, you know, trying to make sure that uh, uh, our guy is good. Uh, So say a little prayer for Uncle Jimmy. Honestly, I think he's perfectly fine, but as a precautionary move, we we got him seeing the doctor again today. Uh, And he has wished me well without him. He knows that, uh, you know, he's like, uh, he's my Robin, I'm Batman. So I'm going to have to go to my tool belt here. Still have a fantastic show planned for you today. Uh, Steve Kim, my Asian brother from another mother, he's going to be here. We're going to talk some Monday Night Football, Dak Prescott. Uh, We'll talk some Aaron Rodgers. We'll talk some Joy Reed with uh, Steve Kim. And then the smartest man on the show, Delano Squires, uh, will join us at the back end of the show. He's written a column about biblical justice and how we need to lean into biblical justice. not talking about an eye for an eye, but there's an opportunity here to take the justice conversation a different direction. I'll let Delano explain later in the show. Uh, But we're gonna start kind of where we left off yesterday, but with a different twist. Uh, Shamika Michelle is going to uh, come back on the show here in a second after I, I set this up. I don't have a full fire starter for you today, but I am gonna start a fire Because Shaquille O'Neal has handed me a layup. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal has said something that I think is as important as what Charles Barkley said in 1993, nearly 30 years ago. Charles Barkley shook up the sports world by proclaiming in a Nike commercial that he's not a role model, Let me refresh your memory, and particularly for you youngins that weren't around in 1993. Here's what Charles Barkley said in a Nike commercial that shook up the world. I am not a role model. I am not paid to be a role model. I am paid to wreak havoc on the basketball court. Parents should be role models. Just because I dunk a basketball doesn't mean I should raise your kids. Mm. That was Charles Barkley in 1993. In 2020, just a year ago, uh, for Hillsdale College, I wrote a piece for Empress, the magazine uh, for Hillsdale College. I'm going to read you an excerpt from it that kind of provides some context to why I think what Barkley said is so important and why I think Shaquille O'Neal basically just doubled down on Barkley's statement and took it to the next level. But let me provide you a little context from what I wrote a year ago for Empress. Nearly 30 years ago, in a 1993 Nike commercial, professional basketball legend Charles Barkley fired the first shot at the role model concept popularized by Columbia University sociologist Robert K. Merton in the aftermath of the 1960s countercultural movement. Then I go on to quote Barkley, which you just heard there, I'm not a role model, blah, blah, blah. And then I said, Barkley's words landed with a force every bit the equal of former NFL quarterback Colin Kaepernick's national anthem knee 23 years later. Former Vice President Dan Quayle defended Barkley while Barkley's fellow NBA superstar Karl Malone criticized him in Sports Illustrated. Leading news magazines, including Time and Newsweek, published articles exploring the controversy. Newspaper columnists from coast to coast on and off the sports pages also weighed in. The topic still sparks debate today. Of the many phrases and concepts Merton coined, including self-fulfilling prophecy and unintended consequences, role model has had the most impact. On the surface, the argument that young people tend to model their behavior after high-profile, successful adults is harmless. However, in retrospect, the elevation of athletes and other celebrities as primary figures in the formation of behavioral norms for young people help create the conditions that are powering the destructive Black Lives Matter movement today. Merton's role model concept undercuts the importance of parents and nuclear families. That was the point of Barclays criticism. So Ivy League professor. Throws out this role model concept and look where we are today with the social media influencers and LeBron James and other athletes that now are establishing the behavioral norms for America. It's not healthy. It's Will Smith, who I absolutely loved in Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, loved what he stood for in hip hop. Look at him now at age 50, coming out with a GQ uh, article Uh, talking about that he and Jada Pinkett Smith, his wife, don't practice monogamy. And that he thought about hiring and having a harem of girlfriends for their marriage. This is celebrities establishing cultural norms for the rest of us and for American society. This whole concept of role models was like, oh, no, if we just have role models, we don't need parents. Just So again, this is man. No, I've got something better than what God intended. Role models. They can replace support or make up for the lack of proper parenting or the absence of a parent. If we just have role models. And role models is another way of saying celebrities, these false idols. And so I found it fascinating uh, yesterday when it was shared and learned that Shaquille O'Neal, someone that I've long had a lot of respect for, uh, someone when there was the Shaq Kobe debate, I always sided with Shaq. I like Shaquille O'Neal. He's not perfect, he's human, he's flawed, he's just like me, you, and everybody else. But what I mostly think is like, Shaq is real. And so, here's what Shaq had to say, uh, I think yesterday, or perhaps it was the day before, about celebrity and renouncing his celebrity status. Listen to this. Celebrities are crazy, I don't wanna be in that category. They are, they're going freaking insane. Don't call me that anymore. These people are out of their freaking mind. How they treat people, what they do, what they say, that, that's never been me. I never want to be looked at like that. And, you know, all my life, you know, we, we, uh, everyone probably gets stereotyped, but us celebrities, uh, we get stereotyped because most of them celebrities are out of their damn mind. Mm. I love this. And I think it's, and by the way, he said this on Friday. I think it's just as powerful and just as important as what Charles Barkley said 23, 24 years ago about not being a role model. It's just as important. It's just as powerful because it's really from the same tree. Celebrities are nuts they set a bad example for young people. Shaq went on to say that basically he, just, he doesn't want to be a celebrity. He just wants to be seen as a nice person. He, I want to read a direct quote from further in the interview. I came from nothing, but just because I made it doesn't mean I'm bigger than you, smarter than you. Just because I have more money doesn't mean I'm better than you. I've never been that way and I never will be that way, so I don't want to be in that category of people. The thing I love about this, I've said it for years. We think, oh, whoever's got the most money, they got the most brains. And I've said, no. A lot of times, the person with the most money Is the person willing to cut the most corners. It's not an indication of intelligence. It just means that person, generally speaking, is more willing to compromise on what they believe in pursuit of money than some people who refuse or are less likely to compromise on their beliefs in pursuit of money. That's not and, and look, I've done well. I got peers in this business th- that financially have done far better than me. And so you can hear it as hate, you can hear it as jealousy. I'm just speaking factually. Stephen A. Smith, I think they're saying he makes $12 million a year. If there's a person watching this or a person on the planet who thinks Stephen A. Smith is smarter than me, You're an idiot. And that's not a shot at Stephen A. Smith. I'm not trying to put Stephen A. Smith on blast, but that ain't what that's not the reason Stephen A. makes 12 million dollars a year. Stephen A. Smith, perhaps more pragmatic about how he'll go about making money. And I'm not saying he's done a bunch of unethical stuff to make money. But there's just certain things I'm not willing to say. There's certain things, there's certain ways I'm not willing to portray myself. There's only, there's only certain, like me shucking and jiving on TV, and I'm not even directly talking about Stephen A. Smith. I'm talking about some other people you see on TV shucking and jiving and lying and, do, and just saying whatever comes out of their mouth. Accuse it! I, I saw, I'm gonna, I'll, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm going quit tiptoeing. I'm gonna call names. I saw Ryan Clark from ESPN one day uh, about a year ago, crying on TV because some woman, some white woman in a drive-through, said called his son the N-word or whatever as she's going through a McDonald's drive-through. And I saw this man crying on TV, and I remember calling. I said, I'm not willing to do that. I'm not going to go on national TV and act like some white woman that my son doesn't know and that I don't know could bring me to tears because she called my son a name. I'm not going to do that performance. I'm not going to fake this outrage and offense that so many other celebrities are willing to do to play a role on TV. You'll never catch me doing what Shannon Sharp does. It just won't happen. I'm not going to sit on TV and play Malcolm X when Becky Shabazz is always in my bedroom and Betty Shabazz doesn't have my address. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to play. I, I, I want to be careful here because I don't want it to come off like I'm better than them. And I, cause tr- trust me, there's sin in my life and I'm not better than anybody, but I just want you to understand something about celebrity and wealth and fame and, and where it really comes from. And a lot of times it comes from a willingness to compromise your beliefs, a willingness to lie and be a fake false person. It ain't me. And that's why you'll hear me criticize a Colin Kaepernick or some of these other clowns that that are sitting. Colin Kaepernick wouldn't exist except for the benevolence of white people. That white family that adopted him when his white mama and allegedly black daddy didn't want to have anything to do with him, his entire existence is due to that white family. And then to go out here on national TV and while you're in the NFL and act like, oh, America and white people are the worst people on the planet. When, again, ain't no Betty Shabazz at his house either. He's got Becky Shabazz. And so all these people that love the fruit and then get on TV and act like they hate the tree, all for a check, all for some celebrity and fame. I ain't with it and neither Shaquille O'Neal. He'll never say it as bluntly or as directly as I just said it. But what Shaq is basically saying he's too real for this celebrity BS that's going on. And I got (coughs) nothing, but respect for Shaquille O'Neal and what he has just said. So that (coughs) I didn't come with the proper script. But that is my fire starter for today, and we'll go out to North Carolina. The longer I talk, I I gotta drink some water here. Let me bring Shamika Michelle in to help me with this conversation. And so uh, Shamika, first and foremost, your reaction to what I just unpacked here as it relates to Shaquille O'Neal and celebrities?
1: Well, first of all, let me tell you that I wrote down Becky Shabazz because i never heard that and I love it and I'm going to use it. <laughs> but I totally agree with Shaquille O'Neal. I think I was telling you all last week that when my daughters were very young, their father told me I was going to be their first role model as to what a woman was. And I took that very serious. That's a job. So when to hear Shaquille O'Neal and even... uh um what was the first oh Barclay Barkley to say that, you know, he's not a role model just because he plays basketball. I appreciate that because that's true. Parents need to realize that their first job and how important it is to be a role model for their kids. So I think Shaq saying what he said is complete humility and saying just because I've done what I've done doesn't make me better than you because I have more money than you do. It doesn't make me better or more successful. Someone tweeted to both of us because I guess they were angry because we had something to say about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar yesterday. They asked, you know, do we hate all black people or, or just those that are better than us? And I was thinking, how do you determine that someone is better than someone else? You know, because is it because he has more money? Is it because he's a celebrity and you feel like he has more accolades? Because honestly, if I were to take myself and look at the fact that I've raised three daughters who none of them have given me babies out of wedlocks, they are well they aren't crackheads. They um, you know, aren't in jail. I think that's pretty successful and I feel like that I've done I've accomplished something. Their father and I, we feel pretty successful in raising three daughters who have not embarrassed us. So that's success to me. And so I appreciate Shaquille O'Neal saying, look, just because you see that I've done things, just because I'm on TV, just because I was, you know, a monster on the basketball court, it doesn't make me better than you. It doesn't mean that I should be a role model model for your kids. A lot of times parents don't want to be parents and they will sit their children in front of a television and allow the television to raise their kids. And then you wonder why you, you know, you don't understand why they are acting out the way that they are. Well, it's because you've let them be raised by television. You've let them be raised by music and influenced by foolishness. You know, there's no way that I would want my children to be raised by some of the things that I hear on television now. I don't want my, or, or in the music, I don't want my daughters going around thinking they're supposed to be a throat baby because city girls and, uh, and the baby have made that popular. I don't, I I, that's not a role model to me. Now, if you want to listen to music, of course, I'm fine with it. I love Ghetto Boys. Everybody knows that their uh, album, We Can't Be Stopped, I can rap it almost all the way through. But I'm not going to go out here and try to shoot anybody. I'm not going to go out here and think that I need to have somebody take me to the other level. I'm not. My mind is not playing tricks on me. I know how to separate the music that I listen to from real life. And I did that because I, my my mother was a role model. My grandmother was a role model. My grandfather, my uncles, those were role models and they weren't celebrities. They didn't have a lot of money. They didn't have a lot of accolades, but they actually taught me life lessons that I was able to take with me on this journey. And they didn't sit me in front of a television or just allow me to listen to music and and let that teach me. They took an active role in my life, so I appreciate Shaquille O'Neal and Charles Barkley saying, take an active role in your kid's life. It's not for us to raise them. And that is humility because you do have some celebrities that think more highly of themselves than they ought. They think they're more important and they think that they should really sit in that Uh, Position to be this great role model for your children. Little Nas X, when, you know, even though he came out on the Breakfast Club and said, F your kids, he's also said that he's doing it for the kids. I was watching Dancing with the Stars first (laughs) episode, and there's a young lady on there now who is, she's the first, you know, she claims she's making history because she's dancing with the same sex partner. And she clearly said, I am doing this so children can feel free in being who they are. She sees herself as a role model and feels that the things that she does in life, you know, is to teach our teach our children. First of all, I'm hoping that she gets dropped or she drops the other lady because I'm sick of women feeling like anything a man can do, they can do better. You're not as strong as a man, but anyway, that's another topic. But you know, some of these celebrities, they really think more highly of themselves. And this is why you see people like Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith coming out with the foolishness that they come out with. I'm still trying to figure out Why is Will Smith so insistent on showing the world that he's his wife's You know, why, why do you feel the need to allow her to humiliate you like that? There is no way that I would ever Sit my husband at a table and not feed him. She set him at that table only to embarrass him. And now I don't know if he thought this interview was him, you know, making amends or taking back his manhood. But it was an epic fail to now come out and say, "Oh, uh, uh, we're not monogamous." You know, I had my fantasies too. That's. That's foolishness. You're you're saying that after your your uh, wife has humiliated you in front of the world. And why? You didn't owe any of us the explanation. If your wife cheated and you took her back, you all made vows to each other. Why do you feel the need to come out and say that in front of everyone else? And now to say, oh, it was okay. It didn't seem okay when you were sitting at that red table. It looked like you were holding back the tears. We have all seen the memes that have been floating around the internet. It didn't seem like you were okay with it. It looked like you were about to break down and slash your own wrist because you were about to fall apart because it seemed that you could just truly see her in that position as if she was really face down, ass up, because that's the way she likes to, I'm not gonna finish that. But you know exactly what I mean. And so to come back now and act as if it's okay, and they keep giving us these new terms as if they want to seem so enlightened and evolved. Last year, it was entanglement. This year, the new term is uh, relational perfection. Shut up. Just shut it up. Why don't you just just Listen. You cheated, she cheated, y'all forgave each other. This is nothing new, you're not enlightened, you're not involved. My great-grandfather had kids outside of his marriage. My great-grandmother forgave him and stayed with him until death. People have been doing this for eons, and guess what? They didn't go on TV and tell everybody. They didn't feel the need to, to share that and justify it and make up some new term to make it seem like it's the new cool thing to do. Just. Shut up. Stop letting your woman embarrass you, Will Smith, because behind every crazy man is a cuckoo woman. And it, it, it seems all crazy to me. Her, Jada saying I was broken. Well, you still seem a little crack because you're allowing your husband to just put himself out there and, and look crazy. Just just I just want them all to shut up. I want them to stop thinking that they are more than what they really are and just live your life. Look, if you don't want to be monogamous, I'm fine with that. You didn't make vows to me, but you don't owe me any type of explanation. That's the same as Tameka, when women, that's, I'm sorry, keep, go ahead. because
0: No, I no, 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 I, 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 no <laughs> I want to give you another thing for you to write down that you can use, you can steal. I stole it from somebody. So I'm, I'm okay. just passing on what, what I've stolen the great Uh, Georgetown basketball coach John Thompson uh, told in his book that he did with the guy Jesse Washington from the Undefeated uh, he had a great philosophy I'm I'm not sure if it's in the book or if Jesse told me this privately but John Thompson had a philosophy Mm -hmm. that human beings have three lives you have a public life you have a personal life and you have a private life and your private life needs to stay private. Right. And what we've seen from all these celebrities like, no, no. And what we've been told is like, share all three of your lives and it, everything is now a public life. Your personal life is a public life. Your private life is a public life. Everything must be shared with everybody. It's inappropriate. It's, it's done by design because they're using celebrities like Will Smith, like LeBron James, like Megan Rapino, all these people that they put, these false idols, they put on pedestals and tell young people, little Nas X, Cardi B, she's empowering women, they're all placed on pedestals to normalize us into illicit, sinful behavior. And anything you do, Any desire that you have, we must normalize it and say it's okay, And that's how you have this chaotic, dysfunctional society we have, because people don't want to have private lives because it's now their job. To live out their entire life publicly, everybody is their own individual reality TV show. You may only have two followers on Instagram, but you're trying to put out your reality show on Instagram for everybody to tune into and see every. Oh, I caught a STD last week and I had to go to the doctor and blah blah blah. And oh, I, and Britney Renner and me, P.J. Ward, we just got knocked up and and now the the breakup is spilling out all over Instagram. Everybody's sharing everything so that chaos and dysfunction become normalized. Things that used to not be appropriate are now very appropriate. Everybody's doing it. I I go back to why I was so pleased to hear Shaquille O'Neal say this. I think it follows in right off of Charles Barkley's deal 20 some odd years later. Like, Hey man, this celebrity stuff is actually gross, satanic, uh, evil, uh, and it's not something I wanna be associated with. And just remember, Shaq is one of the first early adopters they use to promote Twitter and social media. And so for him to make this type of statement, trust me, it's gonna be heard by the the puppet masters who know exactly what they're doing with these celebrities. They're gonna hear, they're gonna hope that other celebrities don't. Pick. Again, most of these celebrities, they don't have the money, the wealth that Shaq has and the freedom that Shaq has. And so they'll be scared. They won't get another job or whatever. But I'm just I was. And then the last thing I want to respond to is, you know, the the person that was coming at you and I about our criticism of Shaquille O'Neal. What I always find comical about stuff like that is like, well, hold on. We're defending Kyrie Irving, who I believe is black and criticizing Kareem Abdul Jabbar but but somehow the criticism of the defense of Kyrie is overlooked and all people oh you're criticizing Kareem who was criticizing Kyrie Irving Kareem can criticize a black man but we can't criticize Kareem and that's why they just need to take poli- I mean they need to take race out of it and just say what they really mean in terms of hey you're criticizing leftist, democratic ideas, and as a black person, we're not allowing you to do that. Say that rather than trying to say, we hate black people. Now, I just hate stupid stuff, and I just hate people right. trying to force their beliefs onto Kyrie Irving, Shamika Michelle, or Jason Whitlock.
1: Right, and I responded, I hate all
0: people. That
1: just that just make it even.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I cut you out. Did you have it? I can let you go unless you had a final thought you wanted to share.
1: No, I don't have a final thought. Um, I was I don't even remember what I was going to say now. It's just that just <laughs> bothers me. Uh, it does when because I feel like women have this thing where they if they're embarrassed, they want the man to share in that embarrassment. And I think that's what Jada felt when she had Will sitting at that table, she felt a little embarrassed by what she did, so she wanted Will to share in that embarrassment. It's almost like when a man cheats and then the woman wants him to publicly apologize. Why? He wasn't married to the public. He was married to you. Keep that between you and him. And I'm naked, people would think, Oh, how do you say keep it naked? That's, you know, hypocritical, but I, everything you don't know, and I use my life experiences to kind of help people, but I don't tell you my day-to-day ins and outs. That's none of, that's none of your business. What happens between me and another person is between me and that person.
0: Thank you, Shamika.
1: Thank you. Great
0: job. Awesome job. She can start her own fire. All right, let me tell you about our good friends. At Good Ranchers, for those of you looking to bring home a quality meat to your family, then you need to look no further than our friends over at Good Ranchers. They bring the best 100% American farm-raised chicken and grain-fed beef to your door at a price their competitors can't compete with. The quality of the food you'll get is unmatched. They truly serve up some of the best chicken and steak I've tasted, and I've eaten at some of the best restaurants and steakhouses in the country. So go online now and I'll pick up there are many food options, like the Family Feast Bundle, and enjoy a great meal that will leave everyone in your family in amazement. If you subscribe, you'll get $20 off and free express shipping. Get steakhouse quality for less than $5 per meal. Go to GoodRanchers.com fearless to get $20 off and free express shipping. That's GoodRanchers.com fearless. All right, welcome back. Jason Whitlock, Fearless with Jason Whitlock. All right, let's roll out to Los Angeles and bring in my Asian brother from another mother. Uh, The outspoken, the courageous, the fearless, uh, Steve Kim. Steve, uh, welcome back to the show. Uh, I'm going to tell you who's really uh, fearless. is Jonathan Isaacs, the Orlando Magic power forward. Set out all of most of last year and all, I think all of last season because of a knee injury that he suffered during the bubble season. But uh, Isaac is unvaccinated, but he ain't scared. And yesterday, uh, the NBA media, they had their media day, and a lot of players were asked about their vaccine status or what their thoughts on the vaccine. And Jonathan Isaac is one of the guys that's been kind of out of the closet that he's unvaccinated. Hmm. He was asked about it yesterday. Let, let's let's play the clip, and then I want your reaction.
2: It was pretty badly um, misrepresented um, in the Rolling Stone article. Uh, and And because of that, I can' understand anyone who may say they don't uh, transparently or overtly trust um, the media. Uh, in In a frustrated tweet yesterday, I had noted that uh, true journalism was dying. Um, And to that, I would say that I appreciate every single one of you, uh, those that try their best to um, correctly um, uh, share the thoughts, the ideas and the the heart of the people that they're asking questions of. Uh, I'm I'm not anti-vax. I'm not anti-medicine. I'm not uh, anti-science. I didn't come to my current vaccination status by studying black history or watching Donald Trump press conferences. I have nothing but the utmost respect for every healthcare care um, worker and person in Orlando and all across the world that have worked tirelessly to keep us safe. Uh, my mom has worked in healthcare for a really long time. Um, I thank God I'm grateful that I live in a society where vaccines are possible and we can uh, uh, protect ourselves and have the means to protect ourselves for the first in the first place um, but with that being said, it is my belief that the the vaccine status of every person should be their own, choice um, and completely up to them without the, without bullying, without being pressured or without being forced into doing so. Uh, I'm not ashamed to say that I'm uncomfortable with taking the vaccine at this time. I think that we're all different. We all come from different places. We've all had different experiences and hold dear to different beliefs and uh, what it is that you do with your body when it comes to putting medicine in there uh, should be your choice um, free of the ridicule and the opinion of others. Mm. Mm.
0: Wow. Whoa! That man, you know what, Steve, what what really strikes me about that is I've heard people call Colin Kaepernick articulate. Oh, he's so well-spoken. I've heard people say, oh, LeBron James, he's so well-spoken and articulate. And I'm like, compared to who? And compared to what? (laughs) That right there? That sounded like a grown-ass man willing to stand up for what he believes in and could articulate exactly what he thinks and believes and, and damn anybody that disagrees with it. That was courageous. That was articulate.
3: That was amazing. Jason, it's very simple about Isaac. He could have gone to basketball. Um, He could have played basketball because of his height. He could have gone to college without basketball. That's an intelligent, well thought out, rational human being. And He doesn't want to admit it, but I think that he really did put a referendum out on the media. Because the media last year, when the players were so outspoken through hashtags, gestures, and t-shirts and walking off, but never actually gave any type of spoken word to that degree, in mass backed up the players. And they started, they had that whole notion of, they're more than just players. Okay, well, now when players are speaking up about their personal choice to whether or not take a vaccine... It's almost like they are now very accusatory and have this really negative bent about players like Bradley Beal and Jonathan Isaac. And I actually believe that he's a much more effective spokesperson for that side of the debate than, let's say, Kyrie Irving, who's become the Kanye West of basketball. I mean, he's kind of a nutty guy, very temperamental, very talented But with Kyrie, you know, given the fact he still believes the earth is flat, there are certain times you don't take him seriously. I mean, I'm just waiting for Kyrie to say Adam Silver hates black people. That's what it's come down to at this point. But with Jonathan Isaac, now there's a guy that's intelligent. He's rational. And the way he lays out his argument, I'm just telling you right now, uh, Jason, you know, a lot of these writers and their political beliefs and their social societal beliefs. I guarantee you in the back of their minds are saying, oh, boy. This guy scares the hell out of me because he's not a stereotype. He's incredibly intelligent, and he's putting us on the spot because presentation matters, uh, guys, is that you can have a message, but the way you deliver it and the way you say it matters and the way Jonathan Isaac and Bradley Beal did it yesterday, you just didn't think these are just two crazy guys trying to be renegades speaking off the cuff. No, these are well thought out arguments that they are presenting and you say to yourself, you know what, we respect what you have to say.
0: Steve, I'm going to defend Kyrie Irving and and I know you're calling him Kanye West. I'm just going to call him a young person. I'm going to say that Muhammad Ali is one of the most celebrated uh, athletes, spokesmen in the history of sports. And If you go judge the doctrine, the religious doctrine of the nation of Islam, which he was a member of when he was making his name, if you go judge the doctrine of that, there's all kinds of crazy nutty stuff in there, nuttier stuff than uh, the earth being flat. And so if, if an athlete or any human being who has some misguided, conspiratorial thoughts, if that eliminates their other truths, then we need to eliminate everything that Muhammad Ali ever stood for. He stood against the Vietnam War. The fact that uh, Elijah Muhammad taught that a spaceship came down and, you know, was involved in, I mean, look, I'm just a, I can't remember it now off the top of my head, but you know, again, cause I used to go to Savior's Day and went to the Million Man March and was very up to date on what the Nation of Islam thought. And a lot of it was nutty. And I can I remember sitting at a, look, uh, everything related to religion can sound nutty. Hey. Did, did a man live inside of the belly of a whale for three or four days? <laughs> uh, you know, l- literally. So was, was Mary aver- Anything can be made to sound. And so I'm just going to defend Kyrie. We all have some nutty thoughts. Well, I love what Jonathan Isaac said here about correcting the Rolling Stone article that tried to get anybody that disagrees with the narrative they're going to portray as a nut. And so they oh, Jonathan Isaac came up with his philosophy after watching Trump videos and the other oh, I forget Trump press conferences and and all that. I'm glad he set the record straight on that. They're trying to cast this guy as a nut, and the next thing you know, he'll be Kanye West. When we all just sat here and and heard uh, a gentleman, a grown man, uh, and I love the point you made. We just spent, what, uh, the past four or five years with athletes taking knees and supporting Colin Kaepernick and and allegedly damning America as irredeemably racist, and not one of these athletes has ever done what Jonathan Isaac just did in that two-minute clip, articulated a well-thought-out opinion that supports their beliefs. These guys all uh, either took a knee and tweeted out, retweeted, or tweeted out some gibberish they picked up from someplace else. None of them got Jonathan Isaac's balls or or intellect. They're a group of cowardly idiots. Anyway, I'm done, go ahead. Well,
3: Jason, Jonathan Isaac would not kneel for the national anthem, and he's not gonna kneel for the mob. But, But I do ask these media members that push that these are more than just athletes, Right. Well, you're right. Jonathan, as- Isaac is more than an athlete. And as a human being, he is reserving the right to get more information before what he puts into his body. Why are you not defending his right to do that? OK, the other thing is about Kyrie. I want to make it clear. I actually admire Kyrie in a lot of ways. We I, there's this notion that everyone has to agree with every single thing someone says or believes or we're against them. No, I think the most pretentious thing anyone can say is, you know, Jason, I don't always agree with you guess what? We're not always supposed to see eye to eye. And there are certain things, but I do respect Kyrie's ability just to be across from the mob and to have his own thoughts. There are certain, look, I give him a lot of credit because during the NBA bubble season, when that thing was about to break over the Jonathan Blake or the Jacob Blake situation, while all these other players hemmed and hawed about, yeah, we want to protest, but we still want to get paid. Wasn't Kyrie the one guy that actually said, wait a minute, wait a minute, if we want to make an impact, if we really want to make a stand, Let's not play. Let's make a real stand here and show people we mean business. That, whether you agree or disagree with him, I actually give him a lot of credit for having the guts to be out on his own. He's zany, he's wacky, but he's also a free thinker. That I could certainly respect. All
0: right, let's move on to uh, Monday Night Football last night. I've been told... I've been told you're one of the crazy people who think that uh, <laughs> Dak Prescott proved that he's worth $40 million last night in beating up a highly overvalued Philadelphia Eagles team. Uh, or, or, you know, that if you think last night proved Dak is worth $40 million, uh, you sound crazier than someone who thinks the earth is flat.
3: Well, maybe. Look, here's the issue. Uh, in today's market, A quarterback of that stature that's somewhere in the top 10-ish, maybe not completely elite, like an Aaron Rodgers or a Patrick Mahomes, they're going to be in that pay range. And the thing I liked about Dak last night was that the ball came out early and on time except for that one play in the end zone where he had to get rid of it. But other than that, he was in command. And look, does he get a lot of help? Yes. Uh, Zeke really ran hard for the first time in a very long time downhill. Tony Pollard is a great player. One-two combination with them, and C.D. Lamb is about to break out and be a superstar and overtake Amari Cooper as the number one receiver. He is a star waiting to happen, and they have two very serviceable tight ends. And Mike McCarthy has a very creative offensive package. But look at the actual command of that game, and in all three games against pretty good, solid teams for the most part: Tampa Bay, the Chargers, who look really good, and an Eagle team that had played pretty good defense up to that point. He's played well. Again, I'm not saying he's top three or four, but in terms of the going rate for a quarterback, a first-rate quarterback that you can win with, which they've done with Dak, I think he's worth every dime based on the current market, Jay. That's what I'm saying.
0: Uh, And look, I think Philadelphia is overvalued. You know, Tony Dungy made a point last week on this show to not, because of the way preseason is now disjointed, that you really shouldn't even evaluate these teams until October. And so I, I don't, I don't, I think the Eagles are garbage. I think that uh, Dak took advantage of that last night. Hats off to him and a great, nice game. You know, he's certainly off to a better start than perhaps I anticipated, but I'm going to withhold judgment. I want some more information. Uh, Thoughts on Peyton and Eli last night in the Monday night football booth.
3: Uh, I watched it again. That's become my default broadcast on Monday night. The regular ESPN crew, I've called them solid. They're sound, but they don't do anything for me. They're kind of what they call a beige spot on a beige wall. But Peyton and Eli bring some juice. And it's very clear. Peyton is the older brother. He's the alpha. But Eli's growing into his role. Here's what I find interesting, Jimmy, about the growing stature and reputation of that particular broadcast Late last night, I'm doing some work, uh, working on the computer. So I threw on NFL Network right around midnight Pacific time here in L.A., and when they re-showed or re-aired the Monday night football game, it was not the regular ESPN broadcast. It was Peyton and Eli, which I found very interesting that maybe the NFL and the decision makers that make these type of calls say, hmm, maybe our A-team is really these two (coughs) guys and not the ones we throw out on ESPN.
0: Uh, I think you're right. I do think that's significant. Uh, I, I'm not a thousand percent sold on the Peyton Eli combination. I'm I'm, I'm going to be honest. Just let me be honest. When I turned on that telecast, LeBron James was on, oh. and I t- changed <laughs> yeah. the channel to the I changed the channel to the regular <laughs> broadcast. Back to the regular <laughs> broadcast because I just couldn't take LeBron James uh I'm just being real. And so and I didn't go back. I was so pissed that they had LeBron James on. I didn't go back. And so that that that's my that's my take on that. All right, uh Green Bay Packers looks like uh Aaron Rodgers' death has been greatly exaggerated. He's still Aaron Rodgers.
3: Jason, I'm not going to use that term last time that that you're a little bit upset about, but this is why you stick with the supermodel. Again, she's always late to everything. She's a little bit moody, extremely temperamental. She can't really cook that well. You might have some great arguments, but Sunday night, that last drive, that was makeup sex. The type that has your eye rolling in the back of your head, (laughs) curling up your toes, and, and afterwards you just kiss her right on the forehead and you go, this is why I put up with your stuff right there that was absolutely masterful (laughs) and i want to say one thing though game management packers are up 17 nothing with 52 seconds to go the percentage play is kick the ball into the end zone and look for a touchback because if you have the team start at the 25 with 52 seconds left they're thinking field goal range at best so you have a three possession lead and instead, LaFleur doesn't tell his kicker to bang that thing into the second row. And you saw what happened. It was 17-7, and they scored right out of halftime, the Niners. You could see the momentum shift. And a game where the Packers were dominating nearly slipped out of their hands, and they kept showing Aaron Rodgers on the sidelines, and I could see it. He he kind of questions Matt LaFleur's game management and the way he does certain things, and you could see that it was very, very irritated. And these are the little things that are really great at him – But then let's go back to the game-winning field goal by Mason Crosby. It was a great reaction where he jumped into the arms of a guy, and he's excited, and he's jumping around. And I said to myself, remember when he didn't care, Jason, two weeks ago, and he's just packing in the season, and he doesn't care about football? Guess what? It turns out he still gives a damn.
0: Yeah, he does, and I was someone that thought maybe it was over, and it clearly isn't. You know his ego is back engaged. He's back engaged. Let's go to your real area of expertise, though college football. Mm. Not that you don't have NFL area of expertise, but uh, Dabo Sweeney is he done being the elite coach at Clemson?
3: You know it's interesting when you have a first-rate quarterback, your IQ goes up a hundred points, and when you don't, you come back down to earth. Now let's go through the Clemson history. This is the first time they're going to have two regular season losses since 2014 and that's when they began the run with taj boyd who was a very good college quarterback then they got a generational talent in deshaun watson and then a guy that was even better than him in trevor lawrence everyone thought coming into the season that that strong arm kid from out here dju i don't want to butcher his last name who had some success last year was going to carry on now everyone's going to say well they miss trevor lawrence well that's obvious you know who they really miss they miss travis Etienne. Because I've seen a lot of games where even Lawrence would scuffle a little bit and they would just give the ball at the ATN out into the flat, pitch it out to him, and he would make this superhuman play. Do I still think that they're a threat in the ACC? Yes, because it's the ACC, but they don't have a game breaker at running back. Will Shipley is a very highly recruited running back, doesn't have the same juice. Linjay Dixon hasn't really had that much success this year. And I don't see them having the outright talent that they had the last six, seven years when they were a premier program. This may actually surprise you, Jay, but the best team I've seen in the ACC in terms of being sound early on has been Wake Forest, believe it or not. But Dabo Sweeney will right the ship there because they're in a very good conference. And I don't know how many more games they're going to lose but DJU has been very, very underwhelming. And the one thing I've noticed about him, and I've seen a pretty good amount of their games, once he looks at one side of the field, his first read is his only read. And coordinators have picked up on that, and they have really begun to caught up to the Clemson offense. So this will be interesting. I thought they would come back to the pack a little bit, Jason. I didn't think it'd be this pronounced this quickly.
0: Uh, Because you live out in Los Angeles, and I'm sure you got to be some level of a Shaquille O'Neal fan. uh, I started the show today talking about Shaquille's comments about renouncing his celebrity status. He doesn't want to be a celebrity. Celebrities are freaking crazy. I totally agree (laughs) with him, and I think that uh, literally I think what he said there is just as important and just as impactful is is charles barkley 23 24 years ago saying i'm not a role model and and anyway your thoughts on Shaq renouncing his celebrity status
3: i just no, wonder I'm doing the math on that it's like 28 years ago but anyway go ahead i'm sorry yeah i, I just wonder are now the corporate overlords gonna do the hack of shack because in my view jason i don't know if you agree i think what he was really saying is i'm not just gonna go with the woke mob i'm done with it he's actually lived in america benefited from the system he's a complete capitalist i mean him and peyton manning lead the league in commercials and he's been one of these guys to his credit even though it's not popular he's he's on rides with police officers and sheriff departments to understand what they go through in a very dangerous job that probably doesn't play well all the time in hollywood and what you call the tech sector that you've been very vocal about jason and That was his way of saying, without really saying it, I'm done with the mob, and I can't get with this. It would be inherently dishonest for me to continue to be a part of it, but I do wonder two things. Number one, will he continue to be the media presence that he is because being a part of the media, uh, it almost goes hand in hand. And number two, will his sponsors now pull their support uh, of him being— their spokesperson, because you know now there's gonna be blowback on one Shaquille O'Neal.
0: Well, he may have gotten the all good sign from his sponsors before saying something like this. And you gotta remember, he he and Charles Barkley kind of exist in a protective space. And and so Shaquille is so unique as a sponsor, as a personality that and that's the same thing with Barkley again Barkley is not woke remotely and he still has been able to maintain his ability to be involved with endorsements of major corporations he's been allowed to remain a television star at TNT and and Shaq may just be hopping on the same boat that's been carrying Charles Barkley
3: Well, Jay, if you look at inside the NBA, uh, there's been a few instances when these younger players, for some reason, do not want to talk to Shaq. There's a generational gap or a difference. Shaq probably looks at these young players as being a little bit soft and pampered, and these young players simply cannot handle the criticism. But you know when you've made it in terms of wealth in America, and I know you've heard this term, Jason, it's called having not millionaire money or billionaire money, because not a lot of people do, but when you have F.U. money, which is defined by no matter what anyone says or if someone gets upset at you, you can say, F you, I've got this type of money. Maybe Shaq's at that point where it's like, you know what, I'm in my late 50s, early 60s. I never have to earn another dime. I've made enough money for my great, great, great grandchildren. Maybe it really doesn't matter. Maybe it's time to make a stance. And I, I actually admire Shaquille O'Neal for this type of stance I think it's very honest it's very honorable but again it'll be interesting to see what happens on inside the NBA this year to see his interactions with these younger players
0: all right so Steve you've called me Jimmy today yeah uh and now you just <laughs> you just dated Shaquille O'Neal I think Shaquille's in his late 40s you've put him in his 50s or 60s
3: he's just really? in his late you're 40s you're right you're yeah. right about that yeah. okay <laughs> I've broken so, the stereotype. It, yeah, and all of us are good at math. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Yeah. <laughs>
0: sorry. And Jimmy's not here today. He's out. Uh, finally, I'm going to take you outside the sports lane a little bit. And uh, Joy Reid, uh, MSNBC's Joy Reid, who I call Rachel Maddow, uh, she has uh, said that the Gabby Petito deal is is – an incident of white woman missing white woman syndrome or whatever. Do, do you have missing white woman syndrome? I did have that once. It was an ex-girlfriend, uh, but I got <laughs> over it. But anyway, anyway, go ahead.
3: Well, Jason, first of all, the article you wrote last week—if you were Nas, that's your ether. You called her everything short of a bo hoe. That was some of your best work since the <laughs> Las Vegas All-Star Game column, which, by the way, I still can't find on the internet. That thing has been scrubbed clean. I could tell you some stories about yeah. that. Here's the issue with, with Joyless Reed uh, When she said, well, how come we're not talking about other people, specifically, let's say, minority black murders or with females? You know, it, it kind of reminded me, I was thinking about this, the people that I'm always suspicious of are when people say, and I'm sure you've heard this, Jason, well, if they could say the N-word, why can't we? And to which I've always said, well, you can. What's keeping you? See that six-seven guy with the Nation of Islam with the rippling muscle? Start with him. S- deal with the ramifications if you want. OK, because <laughs> that, that, that's always made me suspicious. Like, why would you want to say that word? So now I bring us back to Joyless Reed. Uh, Joy, nothing is keeping you with the national platform from talking about murders of all kinds of different races, people, cultures and class. And it goes on a lot. Now, you know, I've sent you videos of this guy on YouTube named Ock Nation News who specializes in these types of stories. And he's very well researched. He's funny. He's intelligent. I learned things. And when Joy Reid says, why aren't we talking about it? Right. That's my question, Joy. Why aren't you talking about it? Because you know you can but you don't wanna deal with the ramifications. And I think that is what is probably the most dishonest thing about what she stated and about that whole story.
0: Steve, I gotta let you go. Done a fantastic job as always. My Asian brother from another mother signing off. Uh, Steve, let me also tell you about Bonner Private Wines. For those looking to get away from those bland and boring wines, that you've been getting it at, at the supermarket lately, then you need to look towards our friends over at Bonner Private Wines. This group of Americans can bring the best Malbec wines from some of the finest vineyards in Argentina directly to your home. Their wines are perfect for a responsible night with friends at home. They pair amazingly well with steaks, fresh off the grill, or some fine Italian cuisine. So stop listening to me brag about them and go order. Join their wine club right now. Visit BonnerPrivateWines.com slash fearless and you'll get 50% off the wine and 50% off shipping. Just visit BonnerPrivateWines.com slash fearless. That's BonnerPrivateWines.com slash fearless. Welcome back. Time for the smartest man on the show, Delano Squires. Uh, Time to talk about what he wrote today for The Blaze. Pretty interesting. Uh, David French advocates for social and racial justice when he should promote biblical justice. Uh, Obviously, David French, the somewhat well-known evangelical and political commentator, Uh, he's written something that has caught Delano's attention and, and provoked it. Anyway, Delano, I want you to uh, describe the difference, biblical justice, social, racist, racial justice, and what caught your attention about what David French wrote.
4: Sure, so um, when I think of social justice, I, I think it has a couple of foundational elements. Um, the first is that it tends to be focused on groups instead of individuals. Um, it tends to be focused on outcomes, right? So it tends to be more about a result and less about a process. Uh, it tends to be very partial. So it doesn't hold the same rules for um, different groups of people. So d- different, uh, different groups, whether it be racial groups or ethnic groups or different sexes, um, have uh, a different set of standards applied to them. Um, And it tends to be uh, focused more on the equal distribution of resources. And I compare that in my piece to, um, you know, my descriptions of biblical justice, which are rooted in the eternal righteousness of God's character. Um, It's focused on the individual. So each person is accountable for the things that they do. Um, It's impartial. So the law in whatever context, or whatever standard we're talking about is applied um, in the same way to to each person, um, and it tends to be more focused on a process. So, um, weighing evidence, hearing both sides of a dispute, um, and it tends to be proportional to whatever the um, alleged crime is. Right. So, so so David French's article talks about justice. Um, He acknowledges the the 30% uh, increase in homicides um, in 2020 as opposed to 2019. And his position is we should not respond to that increase with vengeance, which he in part defines as uh, more incarceration. And what really got my attention about the thread, about his essay is the fact that he didn't really talk about why people are incarcerated, right? like many people on the left, and I'm not saying he's on the left necessarily, but his his arguments are very familiar to me. He will look at the, the US, the United States um, incarceration population compared to that of the world, see that it's higher than other industrialized nations and infer that the United States incarcerates too many people. And then obviously once he breaks that down ar- along racial lines, he'll infer that um, this this phenomenon is motivated by race in, in some respect. So, you know, my response to, to him on Twitter was, well one, we should talk about why people are in prison. And particularly in state prisons, which hold the vast majority of, of the incarcerated population, um, majority of people are there for violent crimes. Um, they're not there for nonviolent drug offenses. Those only account for about 14% of the state prison population. Um, violent crimes account for over 50 fifty five percent so for me, it was important to to make that distinction because what ends up happening is that people like david French um, and and you know the activist class and the cultural elites tend to misplace their sympathies and priorities. um you can hear it even in the way they discuss these issues. They focus on criminal justice, whereas someone like me would focus on public safety, right because any standard of justice should should focus on protecting the weak and the innocent from the guilty and 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 the criminal so um i wanted to to really you know lay that out in in this article and the other part of it jason is i saw a video that went viral um over the weekend by a guy named frederick joseph he's a new york times author um of a book called the black friend and he talks about you know being something having to do with allyship with white people. I mean, I'm not particularly you know, interested in what the book says, but he had a 30-second clip of a dispute with a white woman in Brooklyn. He alleged that she told him to go back to his hood. That was the only context you saw. The woman seemed to be inebriated. And he responded to that incident by getting on Twitter, marshalling his hundred over 100,000 followers to track this woman down, find her name, Find her employer, and then subsequently get her terminated. And that's exactly what her employer did. Um, I have a lot of criticisms of that behavior, some of it having to do with you know what I see as an act of cowardice and lack of manliness on his part. But really, the part that really um, sort of dovetails with my article is that when you when you're focusing on social justice and you feel like you're part of an oppressed or marginalized group, what you end up doing, oftentimes, is getting the mob to act in, on your behalf. They take out their cell phones like pitchforks. They hunt down the person that you say aggrieved you, and they all celebrate when this person is, you know, has had a pound of flesh taken away from them. And I and I think that dovetailed perfectly with what David French was talking about because that that desire for vengeance rests within every human heart. And I thought I thought it was important to. To, to let people know that that's not the only way that things can be.
0: You know, as I was reading your column and then now just listening to you break it down and, and, and the thing that you played up big in your column, you didn't mention here, but I think it, it uh, let me refresh your memory, Or, or but <laughs> grace and mercy are missing. Mm from this vengeance society we have. And so as I'm listening to you recount the story from the New York Times, Arthur, and look, I know we don't all have the discipline, patience or time to do this. But when I think of biblical justice and and when I think of trying to be a Christian, if a drunken woman says of any color, or a drunken man of any, says says something to me that's offensive. My reaction, I'm just telling you, this is where I'm at now. Mm -hmm. I I think even for years previous, I would be there. My reaction wouldn't be, well, let me see if I can hunt down this person and harm them in some sort of way. I literally, like, my reaction would be like, wow, this person is either really screwed up and I would either ignore them and say they're making a fool out of themselves. Mm -hmm. Or I would try to explain to them like, Hey, literally, like you need Jesus because (laughs) clearly there's something inside of you that is wrong with you. And that's why you're spilling this out onto me, this poison that's inside of you. And, and the only solution I think really is Jesus. And I would try to tell them about Jesus. I would more than like, cause I'm sitting here thinking of a scenario. I was down in Miami and uh, this was year. This was probably during the LeBron James era with the uh, Miami Heat down in Miami. And at that time, me and Dan Labrador were great friends and we went to some mm. pool party atop some hotel rooftop and some Colombian or Cuban woman or whatever got in my face uh, Mm. because she flirted with someone in our group and the guy wasn't that interested in her or whatever. And and she was really over the top with her flirtation and we kind of giggled and she took offense with me and got in my face and dropped the N-word after N-word and, you know, F you. And just it was all real. And I just sat there and I was like, what? I, no response, no nothing. I turned mm-hmm. back to my group that I was with, having a good time with and just acted like it didn't exist. And I can remember lebertard and his friends were like, wow i can't believe you got that kind of discipline i can't believe blah blah i was like that woman is telling on herself there's something wrong with her there's nothing wrong with me i don't have time for it i'm here to enjoy myself i'm not going to sit here and argue with this idiot or in any way let her have any say so over my emotion and it really was it's it's part of a biblical Christian mentality that I have and, and also just like I'm in control of me and, and some idiot that's got a problem shouldn't provoke me to try to harm them because they've right. already been harmed. There's something inside of them that's not right. And so th- that's when I was reading your piece and the, the, the you really talked about how grace and mercy are absent from this yeah. vengeance mentality that the left seems to be promoting.
4: Yeah, and and, and really, um, even in the piece, I, I use you know, the, the left's um, sort of overall worldview, right? I analogized it to its own religion, right? So the Church of the Woke, it has its original sin, which is racism. Um, it has its prophets, we have Kendi or Coates, or um, Nicole Hannah-Jones, it has a sacred text, right, 1619 Project, um, how to be an anti-racist. But the one thing it doesn't have is the ability to appease or, or propitiate its gods because they are always looking for both offense, um, whether those offenses are macro or microaggressions and looking for, for vengeance. So there's, there's no sacrifice that's full and final in the Church of the Woke when you compare that to what Christians believe, right, which is Jesus died for, this, was, was, was killed, buried, and rose again for the sins of all who would believe in him, you see what it looks like to have a full and final sacrifice um, for the things that we have done wrong. And that, that, that difference in, in, in religions, quote unquote, um, is, is glaring. And and the darker this world becomes, the more vengeful we become, the brighter that light of of biblical Christianity should shine, in my opinion. Um, and, and we see it when it's not on display. And again, this guy, he I mean, he was not subtle at all. He said, hey, hey, folks, I think this is the woman. I found her LinkedIn. Let's get to work. He knew exactly what he was talking about and then he posted some passive aggressive video saying, oh, it was unfortunate that her employer had to let her go. But but that's exactly what he was out for. He wanted his pound of flesh. He got it. He, he'll probably generate more book sales for his book. But the, what was more instructive, you know, were the comments below and the replies to, to his actions because you could see that there are a lot of parishioners um, and, and members in, in that church. So. Um, I I really thought it was important to, again, hold up a different standard, and you're right. And I I said in the piece, as a Christian, and and, and I I mentioned the parable of of the um, ungrateful servant, where the servant was forgiven by a king to whom he owed a debt he could not repay. And instead of accepting that that grace, that mercy, and applying it to to the fellow servant who owed him money, he had that servant thrown in jail. And when the king heard about it, he threw the first servant in jail until he could pay off his debt. And that's why, as I said, I, I think Christians have an opportunity to lead this conversation on justice, because as people who have been forgiven much, um, we should be quick to, to be merciful to people, particularly to those who, who you know, are contrite and, and ask for that forgiveness. So um, I, I think we need more of that. And we need more of that even from self-professed evangelicals. And again, so I'll take it right back to to David French. I'm not saying that he's an unforgiving person. Everything I've seen about him online says that he is a person, you know, who practices forgiveness and grace and mercy. What I'm saying is that oftentimes he's an ill-informed person, which is the other problem with how we talk about justice today. It's all about empathy and sentimentality. And we never really get to the point where we're discussing hard data. And Jason, you and I both know that that 30% increase in, in homicides in 2020 was born disproportionately on the backs of, of, of black folks in cities all across the, this country. Over 90% of homicide victims in St. Louis are black. Um, over 94% in New York City are black or Hispanic. Same in, in Philadelphia. Same in you know a lot of our big cities. So it, it's strange to see people who talk about justice, whether this is Black Lives Matter or... The, the, the left in general, they will marshal their resources and social media and big tech to hunt down uh, a, a rude woman in a Walmart parking lot. And you never see them do the same thing when it comes to, to you know, crimes in, in our own neighborhoods. They never say, hey guys, I found this piece of surveillance tape, let's hunt down this, this guy. He started shooting in broad daylight, he ended up killing a little kid. They never do that because to them those victims of crime are, are not worthy of of that type of justice. So um, I think it's important to shine a light on that and and to show that there are two different paths that that we're on right now and that all of us as 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 people and Americans and you know people of goodwill that we have to choose wisely.
0: Delano, it actually takes some courage to do what you're talking about. There's some risk involved. In terms of like if you saw a crime and or could be an asset in solving some kind of violent crime you start worrying about well what's going to happen to me and so you you, you stand down the the, the other part I, I wanted to get to in terms of the sharing of the story about the guy with the new york times is, is just what we are basically establishing is a justifiable form of racism That mm-hmm. that's basically what The left is arguing, it's like, you know, all racism's not created equal. There's some Mm -hmm. racism that's good racism. And Mm -hmm. so I listened to that story from the guy with the New York Times, and he doesn't either have the moral integrity or the intellect to to understand that this type of behavior that he's doing justified a lot of lynchings in the 1800s and early 1900s. Someone might, someone black may have said something offensive to a white person. And the solution was, well, let's gather up a posse and hunt this person down and harm them. Right. For, right. you know, doing something that offended the sensibilities of white people. And that's all this guy's basically talking about. His sensibilities were offended. And he mm-hmm. thinks that, you know what, the appropriate punishment is for this person to lose their job and to be shamed and embarrassed. And, and, yep. and so I, I, I was just, ha- it leads to another point, but I'm just gonna stick to this one. It's just like, we're saying, you know what? Your over the top racist reaction to having your sensibilities violated is justifiable. White people deserve this. Now, when they were doing it to you, that was racism, and it was terrible. And, mm-hmm. that, and, and and what they're basically saying, well, she deserved it. She said X, Y, and Z. That's the same mentality that yep. got Emmett Till killed. Well, he, deserved, he said X, Y, and Z. He looked at her this way. He allegedly spit or whatever the justification was. Instead of somebody, let's say Emmett Till did say something. Again, the right and proper Christian thing to do, hey Emmett, don't do that, and here's why. And do you know Jesus? It's not to hunt him down and kill him. And just like whoever this person is, it's not, let's don't hunt this person down and harm them. That's not going to correct their behavior. That's not going to make them less hostile. That's not gonna take whatever poison's inside of them and get it out, it's just gonna increase the poison. It's a justifiable form of racism that I find offensive and just as troubling as any other form of racism.
4: Yeah. And, and, and when you really listen closely, you can, you can hear the echoes of, of Ibram Kendi sort of um, speaking back to you, right? Because Kendi is a person that says the, the, the way to solve past discrimination is with present discrimination and the way to solve present discrimination is with fut- future discrimination, right? And his thinking has informed so much of the ways in which we talk about race in this country um, that even if people have never read his books, they've still been influenced by his teaching. Um, it's also interesting that you know when, when you you brought up the Emmett Till um, you know, situation, it makes me think back a couple of years when um, Justice Brett Kavanaugh was being confirmed for the Supreme Court, and Jamel Hill wrote an article in The Atlantic Basically, wondering aloud why so many at least to her, you know black men seem to be sympathetic to Brett Kavanaugh, and it just i'm 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 constantly amazed at how little our cultural elites actually know about history. Um, they are so focused on race and gender and identity, right and and so preoccupied with their own navels and and gazing at themselves and their own narcissism that they don't take a, a chance to step back and see how um, the certain principles travel through time even when they are applied to different people because when she said it right and she she wondered aloud why so many black men and again I don't even know how many she's talking about but I was thinking to myself do you know how many black men have been beat up, shot up, strung up or jammed up on the on the word of somebody else whether it's a white woman or a white man or, or anybody, right? Just because they happen to be black. So because they s- share a similar skin color with someone who may have committed an offense, all ju- the the justice system doesn't apply to them, right? It's mob rule all the way down. And that's that's how we got, you know, over 3500 lynchings you know, from the end of, you know, emancipation through um, or through, f- from the end of slavery through, you know, the civil rights era is because, as you said, someone made an allegation. Some other people got inflamed. They grabbed a guy. They, they, you know, they, they strung him up. They hung him. And they said, this is justice. And it's not. And, it, and, and it's not justice, regardless of, of who is on either side of the rope. And I think that's the part that people need to understand and I know some people will say oh you shouldn't make that comparison but again that's what happens when you use um, man as the 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 measuring stick for righteousness when you when you use God as the measuring stick for righteousness you understand that it doesn't matter who's committing the sin it's still a sin so God judges impartially whereas we are completely partial and as long as the the Perpetrator and victim have the right skin colors, that right skin com- color combination, right. If we get those colorways just right, um, we're more than willing to to sacrifice our principles, you know, for the sake of someone's agenda.
0: Delano, thank you so much. Thank Gotta you, Gotta keep it moving. All right. Gotta move on to the next day. I think I hear tomorrow playing, and if I hear tomorrow, that means we're at the end of the show and it's time to get fearless. And enjoy the rest of your Tuesday evening. Uh, We'll see you tomorrow. Hopefully, uh, Uncle Jimmy will be back with us.
2: Waiting for the
1: countdown, coming off the breakdown, standing in line for freedom. Looking for a breakout, feeling like a stand off, nothing in line like freedom. Came like a fighter, striking like a ladder, making all this moves for freedom. I want freedom. No negotiation, my system, no relation, we all just want to have freedom. Sitting on the corner, never been alone, i my back for freedom. Blessed, we are living, get back, we are receiving, all deceiving, we all want to be free. We want freedom. I just want, I want to be, I just
2: want.